should be good. Okay, next step is to take a look at some of the intrinsic muscles of the hand. Grouping around your thumb, the base of your thumb is referred to as the thenar muscle group. Grouping around your little finger, which is quite comparable to the one that's around your thumb, is called the hypothenar muscle group. So the ones that are going to be forming the muscles in the thenar muscle group will be these ones. I, I picked this as an old picture, but it, it separates them all individually. Then we'll put them into a into a, on a, a diagram that puts them all together. Abductor pollicis brevis will come from the lateral part of the retinaculum and from the lateral carpal bones, the scaphoid bone trapezium, the two lateral carpal bones. And the lateral part of the retinaculum will serve as the attachment for the abductor pollicis brevis. It'll take us and it'll attach to the base of the first phalanx of the thumb. Thumb only has two phalange. On the, uh, on the lateral side. And that would be the, our abductor pollicis brevis muscle. From the lateral carpal bones, lateral aspect of the retinaculum, comes up and attaches onto the lateral side of the base of the first phalanx of the thumb, abductor pollicis brevis. That's one of our three in that package of the nerves. And then once again, some, somewhat a similar attachment from the lateral aspect of the retinaculum and from the lateral carpal bones over here to the trapezium. We have a flexor pollicis brevis. Flexor pollicis brevis, once again, will take us to the base of the first phalanx of the thumb on the lateral side. You can see that there isn't much difference between the abductor and the flexor. The two muscles are, uh, have a very common attachments on both ends of the, of the muscle. Now, this one then technically would be an abductor helping you to abduct the, uh, the thumb by movement of the, at the uh, carpal metacarpal joint, the trapezium and the metacarpal of your thumb. And this one would then would help to flex the joint between the uh, trapezium and metacarpal and also help to assist in flexing the metacarpal uh, phalangeal joint of your thumb. But based on the look of those two things, you could figure out that maybe the abductor also is a not a bad flexor of the thumb as well because the two muscles are very close in their attachments, very close in what the joints that they cross and the areas that they cross the joints. But technically speaking, then you can always just come back and say, okay, that's, a, that's an abductor for the thumb, and this is going to be a flexor for the thumb. The third one in the package is referred to as the opponent's pollicis. Once again, we're going to come from the uh, lateral uh, carpal bones and from the lateral aspect of the retinaculum. M muscle will come and attach into the shaft of the metacarpal of your thumb. That's the opponent's pollicis. That's going to be one that's going to assist us in helping to roll the thumb around so that we can oppose other digits. It takes the uh, trapezium and the metacarpal articulation, which we said was a saddle-shaped joint, and allows for that rotation so that you can bring your thumb across and oppose your thumb against other digits. That's the opponent's pollicis. So those three all together are referred to as the thenar muscle group. Those three are all going to be innervated by a branch coming off the median nerve called the recurrent branch. Let's see if I can get myself a picture of that. Here's the median nerve, and we've got it coming through the carpal tunnel. But this one picture, remember, doesn't show that palmar cutaneous branch coming off the median nerve that went over top of the retinaculum. It's not shown on this picture. But here's the main trunk of the median nerve coming through here. And we're going to give off a, oh, it does show that, sorry. Cut. Here's the cutaneous branch here. That was the only one I was thinking. There's the cutaneous branch. It went over top of the retinaculum, and it gave cutaneous distribution for this area of the thumb. We follow the median nerve into the hand, and it's going to give off a recurrent branch, which is this one. The recurrent branch is the, is the bundle that will supply these three muscles. 
the abductor pollicis brevis, opponent, uh, flexor pollicis brevis, and the opponent's pollicis are all going to be supplied by this bundle coming off here called the recurrent branch of, and supplying the thenar muscle group coming back in this way. Okay. So then that's a look at the, at the, uh, uh, the nerve innervation for those three muscles, a common nerve innervation by a branch coming off the median nerve referred to as the, the recurrent branch. All right, and then here's another look at the same thing. We're looking at the, the they've cut in this case, the, they've left the opponent's pollicis here, they've cut the flexor and the abductor in order, to dis, in order to show it coming around this way. Here's our median nerve coming through this way, our recurrent branch coming off the median. The median nerve in the hand's got other things to do, so but it gives off that recurrent branch that comes around, and it'll be the branch that'll innervate those three muscles in the thenar muscle group around that way. The other thing you have to realize as well, with respect to those, uh, the, those two muscles, the, the abductor and the flexor, let's see if I can get a picture of it. At the head of the metacarpal of your thumb, there are two sesamoid bones, one on the medial side and one on the lateral side. We're going to have the same uh, uh, organization in the, uh, at the uh, head of the uh, metatarsal of your big toe. We have two sesamoid bones sitting there. The abductor and the flexor, as they come around this way and attach to the base of the first metacarp metacarpal of your, uh, uh, first phalange of, of your thumb, they're going to have this, that, sesamoid that sesamoid bone embedded in their tendons as those two muscles come and attach, a fairly common attachment on the lateral side of the first phalanx of the thumb. This one gives you a little bit of a look at that, that sesamoid bone there. And that sesamoid bone will be embedded in the tendons of the flexor and the abductor pollicis brevis as they come and make their attachment. Okay. Then, not considered part of the thenar muscle group is the adductor pollicis. And here's the adductor pollicis here. It comes in two parts. It has a transverse head coming across this way, which will come from the shaft of the third metacarpal, comes across and attaches. Once again, we'll have that sesamoid bone uh, on the medial side of the, of, the, uh, of the thumb here. It'll have that sesamoid bone encased in its tendon as that tendon comes and attaches. Okay. And there is an oblique head because it's coming kind of at an angle. The oblique head of the adductor pollicis comes this way. It comes from the second, third metacarpals. Also comes from these middle carpal bones here, the capitate bone and the trapezoid bone. And it comes up and the two heads are going to come together. And they will have, once again, embedded it in their tendon of attachment there. They'll have that sesamoid bone on the medial side. And then we're going to attach onto the first base of the first phalanx of the thumb. That's going to be our adductor pollicis. And as the name suggests, it's going to be for adducting, assisting in adducting the thumb. This one's going to be innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. The ulnar nerve is going to be responsible for uh, innervating the adductor pollicis muscle. Right? So we've got a shift in uh, nerve innervation. We had the thenar muscle group by the recurrent, which is a branch coming off the median. The adductor pollicis is going to be innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. We'll talk about the deep branch in a minute or two. And as you can see, the, the uh, adductor pollicis will be responsible for adducting the thumb. And that adduction is going to be, once again, occurring at this art articulation between the trapezium and the base of the metacarpal of your thumb, that saddle-shaped joint, which will allow for the adducting and abducting of your thumb in that, in that region. All right, so there's, there's a look at the, uh, at the adductor pollicis. Small muscle, fairly unimportant. 
is a small muscle called the palmaris brevis muscle. It's a little muscle that comes uh, from the flexor retinaculum and then comes and attaches into the skin on the very medial side of the palm of your hand down here. It's um, contracting of it will help you kind of cup your hand a little bit. It'll help to kind of move the skin a little bit in order to cup your hand. It's a very small muscle. It's not that particularly important. It's going to come from the more medial side of the retinaculum and it's going to attach into the skin on the medial side. It's the palmaris, palmar bre brevis muscle. It's going to be innervated by the superficial branch of the ulnar nerve. The superficial branch is going to be responsible for innervating the uh, palmar brevis muscle. And we'll have to talk about that, those things in a minute or two. All right, so, uh, okay, now, we've, we did the median nerve. The median nerve came down and gave off a palmar branch, which went over top of the retinaculum. It was cutaneous. We had the median nerve going under, the main trunk going underneath the retinaculum. We've got a giving off a recurrent branch here to supply the thenar muscle group. Now, if you follow the ulnar nerve over on the other side, remember the ulnar nerve is going to come um, medial to the ulnar artery. Both the nerve and the artery are going to travel uh, lateral to the, the pisiform bone and then hook around and it'll be medial to the hamate bone, so they change their orientation this way. And if you follow the ulnar nerve this way, it will divide into a superficial and a deep branch. The deep branch is going to go this way and come across. The deep branch is the branch of the ulnar nerve that will be the nerve, the part of the ulnar that will supply the muscles that we're going to talk about. So the adductor pollicis that we just did will be supplied by this deep branch of the ulnar nerve coming around this way. It's going to go uh, in between a couple of these hypothenar muscles. It's going to run through uh, the uh, opponent's digiti minimi muscle, and it's going to come across this way. So that's our deep branch of the ulnar, and it's going to supply, first muscle we had it supplying was the adductor pollicis. The superficial branch of it is this branch here, and as the superficial branch comes this way, it's the one that's going to supply that palmaris brevis muscle. And, and that's the only muscle that that superficial branch is going to be supplying. Other than that, the superficial branch will be 100. The rest of its responsibility will be cutaneous for the areas on the palm of the hand, which we'll take a look at. So the only innervation that you're going to get uh, from the superficial branch is that palmaris brevis muscle, that very fairly insignificant one. That's the only one you're going to get. The rest of the responsibility of the superficial branch of the ulnar nerve will be cutaneous for the little finger and parts of the ring finger. Okay. All right. Take a look at it that way. Now, and then if you, let me go back to the other one here. If you flip it over to the other side, uh, no, I should go back this way because I must have had it after. On the little finger side, we're going to end up with three muscles, the thenar muscle group. And you can see the names are fairly uh, similar to what we had on the, uh, the hypothenar rather. We can see the names are quite similar to what we had on the thenar side. So we're going to have from the retinaculum and from the more medial carpal bones, we'll have an abductor digiti minimi, which will take us to the base of the first phalanx of your little finger. We'll have, once again, same kind of idea from the more medial side of the retinaculum and the medial carpal bones, particularly the hamate bone here, will have a flexor digiti minimi, sometimes referred to as flexor digiti minimi brevis. Don't know why they put a brevis, because we don't have a longus. 
but uh, sometimes you'll put, they'll have a brevis put in there. And once again, it's going to come up and attach to the medial side of the base of the first phalanx of your little finger. You see these names are quite similar to what we had on the other side. And then once again, from the medial aspect of the retinaculum, medial carpal bones, running into the shaft of the little finger, met metacarpal of the little finger, will have an opponent's digiti minimi. So those muscles are quite similar to the names that we had on the other side, on the thenar side. And technically speaking, then this is what they're going to do. This one will help you to abduct your little finger. Remember, we, said we looked at the movement of the hand and we indicated that we're going to use the middle finger as our reference point for abducting and adducting the fingers. So this one will allow you then to abduct your little finger, to move it away from the midline. So that little finger has its own abductor through this abductor digiti minimi here. And that movement of abducting your little finger away is going to be occurring between the uh, metacarpal and the first phalanx of your little finger. We're not going to get much movement here between the carpal and the metacarpal of your little finger. This one will help flex the joint between the metacarpal and the first phalanx of your little finger. And this one here will help you try to take your little finger, the, at least the metacarpal, and try to get it to roll around so that it can come around and touch the thumb back this way. When we go from the little finger over to the index finger and, that and the joint between the carpals and the metacarpals, there is a little bit of movement between the carpal and metacarpal of your little finger, allowing your the metacarpal to roll a little bit and come across and, and uh, oppose your thumb. But the further over we get towards your index finger, the less movement you're going to get at the carpal-metacarpal joint. So we might as well say, that for, the, for your ring finger, middle finger, and index finger, we don't have any movement at the carpal metacarpal joint. But there's a little bit of movement that you can achieve in your little finger because we've got that muscle, the opponent digiti minimi, which helps to try to take the metacarpal and roll it a little bit so that it can come and oppose your thumb. The other ones between the, the uh, ring finger, middle finger, index finger, we can virtually say no movement between the carpals and metacarpals. Little finger, yeah, we got a little bit of movement there, and that's, we've got this muscle, the opponent's digiti minimi, that helps try to roll the metacarpal around a little bit. So all these in the hypothenar muscle group, the abductor digiti minimi, flexor digiti minimi, opponent's digiti minimi, are going to be innervated by the deep branch of that ulnar nerve. Okay, the superficial branch only did the palmaris brevis, and its re other responsibility will be for cutaneous distribution to your little finger and part of your ring finger. These ones are going to be done by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. Okay. Next step. We end up with uh, a series of four muscles called lumbrical muscles. The lumbrical muscles come from the tendons of the flexor digitorum profundus in the hand, as they are in the hand. Four lumbrical muscles. The lumbrical muscles, that's their origin. Their origin comes from the tendons of the flexor digitorum profundus. Their, ah, where did it go? Not there. Their attachment will be, I get it done here, where did I put it? To the back of the hand of each of your fingers. Now, we haven't done it because we haven't got to the extensors yet, but we have a muscle called the extensor digitorum communis. It's a common extensor for the four fingers. It's what you can see as the tendons usually fanning out in the back of your hand. The tendon of the extensor digitorum communis muscle comes to as far as the second phalanx 
of each of your four fingers. And then what happens is that tendon creates what's called a dorsal expansion mechanism on the back of the hand, fans out and flares out, and covers the portions of the first phalanx all the way to the tip here to its attachment onto the second phalanx. This then gives you what's known as the dorsal expansion on the backs of each of your four fingers. That's the attachment of that uh, extensor digitorum communis. The lumbrical muscles are going to come up and blend into and run into that dorsal expansion on the backs of each of your four fingers. That's where the, that's their attachment. Okay, so then we will look at this dorsal expansion a little bit when we look at the ex extensor muscles on the back of the forearm. But um, you get a, and this picture here has taken that, that hood off. It's taken that aponeurotic expansion off, removed it. And here you have the tendon of the extensor uh, digitorum communis muscle, and it's going to take you to the second phalanx. But you can see that the lumbrical muscle coming up this way is going to help blend into that dorsal expansion. And in fact, then, will allow you to make, it'll allow you, by that dorsal expansion, to get to the second interphalangeal joint of each of your four fingers so that you can extend the, your last knuckle in each of your four fingers by the pull on that dorsal expansion. Technically, the extensor digitorum communis muscle only goes to the second phalanx, but the, by that expansion network, you get then to pull on that expansion, and that will then extend your fingers entirely. It'll, you'll get to the second interphalangeal joint. So here we're looking at an example here of a ring finger. Here we're looking at a lumbrical muscle coming up and attaching or running into that expansion. Now, technically speaking, then, the function of these lumbrical muscles, you see you have four of them, the function of them will be this. By pulling on that dorsal expansion, you're going to get flexing of the metacarpophalangeal joint, that would be your big knuckle, but by pulling on the dorsal expansion at its distal attachment this way, you're going to get extending of the interphalangeal joint. So it's going to allow you to do that, technically, by that muscle by itself. You get flexing or bending at your big knuckle, which is the metacarpophalangeal joint, by using the lumbrical. But by pulling on the dorsal expansion, you'll get extension of the interphalangeal joint. Sometimes they refer to it as when the, this way as a position that you might have your hand while you're holding a pen, or the position of your hand when you might be holding a cue stick, where you get flexing of the metacarpophalangeal joint, but the pull on the dorsal expansion will give you extension of the interphalangeal joint. It'll straighten your finger up. That technically, then, is the responsibility of these lumbrical muscles. All right? Now, the lumbrical muscle, this is the way you need to remember it. The lumbrical muscles here that are, are coming from the tendon of the profundus for the little finger and the tendon of the, uh, of the profundus for the uh, ring finger, these two lumbricals, the medial two lumbricals, are going to be innervated by the ulnar nerve. The deep branch of the ulnar nerve, and most people will, will, will be the supplier for the medial two lumbrical muscles. The lateral two lumbrical muscles, that is the muscle that will be generated out of the tendon for the middle finger and the muscle that will come from the tendon for the index finger, are innervated by the median nerve. And if you remember, when you take a look at the design of the uh, um, innervation for the extensor, the uh, flexor digitorum profundus, the, med the medial half of that muscle was innervated by the ulnar nerve, and the lateral half of that muscle was innervated by the median nerve. Well, 
the two lumbrical muscles coming from that portion of the profundus innervated by the ulnar nerve will be innervated by the deep ulnar nerve in the hand. And that part of the profundus innervated by the median nerve, which would be the lateral portions of it, these two lateral lumbrical muscles will be innervated by the median nerve in the hand. So there's a split in the responsibility uh, in, the, in the hand for those two lump for the four lumbrical muscles. These two will be innervated by the deep ulnar. These two will be innervated by the median. And their responsibility will be to go around to the back of the hand here, blend in with the dorsal expansion, and give you then a, a flexing component at the metacarpophalangeal joint with your big knuckle. And then it'll also pull on the dorsal expansion to give you extension of the interphalangeal joint. That would be the, technically that would be the responsibility of those muscles. And we have four of them all together. So that would be a look at the lumbrical muscles. All right, next. Within the hand, we're going to end up with a series of seven interosseous muscles coming from in between the metacarpals, so the interosseous between the bones. If you're looking on the palmer side, the palmer one first, so I'm going to do it. If you're looking on the palmer side, we have three of them on the palmer side. And these muscles are going to be responsible for squeezing your fingers together towards the middle finger, adducting them. Now you'll notice in the picture that they have four, and in my notes I have three. They're not sure what this one is. Some are going to say it is the deep part, a part of the adductor pollicis that we looked at coming across this way. Some say it might be a deep part of the flexor pollicis brevis. These person, these, this particular author then has called it a palmar interosseous, where I don't. I say we have three palmar interossei muscles. This one is not considered a palmar interosseous. It could be parts of these muscles we've already done. But this author has looked at it and said, I'll treat it as a separate muscle, this portion here. I didn't. So in my notes, I have three. Palmar interossei muscles squeeze your fingers together around the middle finger, right? So you're going to have one for your little finger that will bring it this way. You'll have one for your ring finger, which will bring it this way, and one for your index finger, which will bring it that way. Okay. Then, on the back, si back side, we'll have four dorsal interossei muscles. And the dorsal interossei muscles are responsible for spreading your fingers apart, abducting, moving them apart this way. Right. So we need one over here for your index finger to move your index finger that way. We need one on each side of your middle finger because we have to move your middle finger over this way, away from the midline of the hand. And we have to move your middle finger the other way, away from the midline of the hand for abducting. We need one for the ring finger to move it out that way, this way. We don't need one for the little finger because the little finger in the hypothenar muscle group had its own abductor, the abductor digiti minimi, which then would take your little finger and move it away. So we end up with four dorsals um, in order to spread your fingers apart. And on the palmer side, when you take a look at it, we end up with three, palm I call them three palmers, which squeeze your fingers together. And those are all referred to as the interossei muscles. And you'll notice that, if I do this right, 
the interossei muscles as well come up and blend into that dorsal expansion on the backs of your, each of your four fingers. They also as, uh, uh, account for a component of that dorsal expansion. And their idea is then to adduct and abduct your fingers that way. They also would play somewhat of a role because when they contract, they're also going to pull on this expansion and then assist in, that ex in, in uh, straightening out your fingers uh, by pulling on that expansion and extending the second interphalangeal joint. So both the lumbrical muscles and the interossei muscles play a somewhat of a role in, in allowing for us to get that complete extension of the fingers because they're both going to pull on the dorsal expansion. All the interossei muscles are going to be innervated through the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. That would be the ulnar nerve responsibility. Okay. So there's a look at the uh, lumbrical muscles we looked at. Here's a look at the dorsal interossei muscles, all innervated by the, the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. And here's the palmer, and disregard the first palmer, giving four, treat it as a, a component of one of the other two muscles that we already have looked at in that fashion. All right. Then, if you take a look at the cutaneous distribution in the palm of the hand, if we bring the median nerve this way, we said we had a palmer branch that can over top of the retinaculum, so that we're going to have this area of the palm of the hand uh, cutaneously supplied by branches of the median nerve. Median nerve went underneath the retinaculum. We gave off a, um, a, a recurrent that was going to go this way to supply the thenars. We need to give off branches, um, muscular branches from the median to supply the lateral two lumbricals. We need to supply those. But cutaneously, this would then be the distribution for the rest of the median nerve this way. It would take you to the uh, lateral half of your ring finger. And most people from here over this would then be the responsibility of the median nerve for cutaneous distribution. The ulnar nerve, if you recall, we came up this way. We gave off a dorsal branch, which is going to go behind the back of the hand. And when we get back there, we'll, we'll pick that one up again. We have a deep branch. We have a, 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 a palmer cutaneous branch. We mentioned that. Came off the ulnar nerve, quite similar to the palmer one from the median nerve. And this represents then the superficial division of the ulnar because the superficial division is the one that will give us cutaneous distribution to your little finger and the medial half of your ring finger in most people. This is uh, the common uh, distribution, uh, cutaneous distribution in the palm of the hand. You will come across slightly different variations depending upon what book you take a look at. Um, there might be slight variations in the distribution, but this is the one that I have described in my notes. This is the more standard one um, that's used. Okay, that's the palmer. We can, if for a second, we can flip it over to the other side. This is the back of the hand and its cutaneous distribution. So our dorsal branch that we had coming off the ulnar nerve will come back and supply the little finger and, once again, the medial half of your um, ring finger on the dorsal aspect of your hand. And if you remember, we took the radial nerve and split it into superficial and deep, and the superficial went underneath the brachioradialis. This is going to be the distribution for the superficial division of the radial nerve. It will give us cutaneous for this area on the back of your hand. And you'll notice the fingernail beds for your um, lateral half of your ring finger, middle finger, index finger, and your thumb will still be innervated through the median nerve 
will take care of those things. Now, once again, the easiest way to describe it for me was just simply say the fingernail beds. Depends upon how far down you want to go in the finger a little bit here. But I've used that fairly that easy term, the fingernail bed would be supplied by the median nerve. So this would then be the portion of the, of the ring finger, the lateral half of the ring finger in that area, your middle finger, your index finger, and your thumb would all be median nerve supplied in the, looking at your fingernail beds and maybe a little bit further down your finger a little bit from there. Then that gives us then the uh, attachment of the, uh, the distribution of the superficial radial and on the back side over here, the dorsal branch of the ulnar, giving us that, that just cutaneous distribution. Okay. So, and, and once again, you have to remember that if we're coming up here, the three components of the hypothenar muscle group, the abductor, the, the flexor, uh, digiti minimi brevis, and the opponents, uh, will be innervated by the ulnar nerve. Palmaris brevis will be innervated by the superficial branch of the ulnar nerve. All the interossei muscles, all seven of, uh, seven of them, the three palmar and the four dorsal, are all innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. The medial two lumbrical muscles here will be innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. The lateral two lumbrical muscles will be innervated by the median nerve. All the thenar muscles down here, the uh, flexor uh, pollicis, abductor pollicis, and the opponent's pollicis will all be innervated by the recurrent branch of the median nerve. And the adductor pollicis, which is in here, will also be innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. That gives us then our distribution, both cutaneous and muscular, uh, for the um, as far as we've gotten in the hand that way. All right. Then, as we mentioned before, when you bring the ulnar and the radial arteries down, I think I mentioned before that up, a he up at the elbow, the ulnar artery is going to be larger than the radial. Because we had at the up here, we had the ulnar artery giving off a common interosseous. The common interosseous was going to divide into an anterior and posterior interosseous uh, artery. So it had more to do up here. By the time, however, we get down to, to the wrist, uh, the radial artery is, a, uh, relatively speaking, compared to the ulnar, is a little bit larger down here at the wrist. Because um, the radial artery hasn't done anything all the way, virtually nothing all, all the way down, except supply um, muscular branches. It hasn't given off very large branches like the ulnar had. So if we take the radial this way, we're going to split it into a deep part and a superficial part. And if we take the ulnar, we'll do the same thing, split it into a deep part and a superficial part. The superficial portion of the ulnar artery will come around here and be the main component making up the superficial palmar arch in the hand. Comes around like this. It will be completed by a smaller superficial component off the radial artery coming around this way comes around like that. Now this superficial portion here of the radial might go th will go through. It's, a it's, it's smaller and it's a little bit uh, not as consistent as the ulnar. Uh, the superficial portion of the radial artery will go through or around the thenar muscles and it'll hook up with the more substantial component of the ulnar to give us the superficial palmar arch. Superficial to the long tendons passing in the palm of the hand. The other division of it, the radial artery gives off a deep branch. The deep branch will go back around the head of the metacarpal of your thumb. The deep branch will then go between the two heads of the, of the uh, first dorsal interosseous muscle and come across the palm of the hand. That will be met by a deep branch here coming from the um, ulnar artery, coming around this way, 
this deep branch here will split a couple of those uh, hypothenar uh, muscles. It'll go through the opponent's uh, digiti minimi, and it'll then come back around this way and help to complete the deep palmar arch. So most of the deep palmar arch coming around this way would be derived from the deep portion of the radial artery. It's going to be completed by a smaller component here, deep portion of the ulnar artery, to give us a deep palmar arch that way. That's the basic design then of the uh, arterial supply. The deep arch is going to be under, under the long tendons that pass in the, palm, in the palm of your hand. That's why it would get the term deep. Right? So that's our basic idea. That's our basic design on how we're doing it. Now there's a look at the superficial. So here we have the, the ulnar artery coming up this way. Keep in mind when we're, when we're doing this, we are on the lateral side of the ulnar nerve, and both of those things are going to go lateral to the pisiform bone, and they're going to then hook around and go medial to the hamate bone. And here we have then the main component of the superficial palmar arch coming from the ulnar artery coming around this way. And then we've got this very small, sometimes inconsistent branch off of the radial, which will help then to complete the superficial palmar arch this way. And then from the superficial palmar arch, then we would get digital branches that radiate to the digits, to the ends of your fingers. So there's a look then at the design of the uh, superficial palmar arch coming around that way. Deep palmar arch, we're going to flip it the other way around. Here, here's the radial artery. Here would be then the superficial division of the radial. Here's the deep division of the radial. We're going to pass it behind the um, uh, base of the metacarpal of your thumb. We're going to split the two attachments here of the adductor pollicis. Remember, it came in two parts, a transverse part coming this way and an oblique part coming this way. So the muscle has a bit of a split in it. We'll, we'll use that. We'll take the dorsal interosseous muscle. There's the first, here's the first dorsal interosseous muscle here. We'll split it between its two heads, bring it around the palm. We'll use the split in the two heads of the adductor pollicis, and we'll bring that deep artery across this way. Here we've got the ulnar artery coming this way. Here we have the smaller deep branch of the ulnar coming this way. It'll go between the uh, splits between the uh, abductor and the flexor digiti minimi, pierces or goes through the opponent's digiti minimi, comes across this way, and completes the deep palmar arch around. And then once again, from there, you can see digital branches radiating out in order to supply the digits as well. Keeping in mind, once again, when we took a look at it, that the um, ulnar nerve and the ulnar artery over here, we're going to go over top of the retinaculum, still covered by a membrane giving us that, that little canal, a little tunnel um, in this region. So they have taken that off, removed that from this picture. Okay, so there's a look at the arterial supply uh, in the palm of the hand, the deep and the superficial palmar arches. Okay. And here's a look at the superficial. And that's the basic idea of the design of it. Superficial palmar arch, you take your palm and stretch it out, your, your, thumb, your thumb and stretch it out. Base of your thumb across would be approximately the, as far forward as that superficial arch would, would extend, about that far. And you can see the deep palmar arch is going to be just a little bit, just a little bit back towards the wrist, a little bit more proximal.
Okay, back of the hand. Uh, on the back of the hand, we're going to have that venous network. And from that subcutaneous venous network on the back of your hand, we would derive, we said before, along the lateral side, the cephalic vein, and on the medial side, we develop the basilic vein, draining that subcutaneous network on the back of the hand that way. So dorsal venous arch, that's what that's referring to, the network on the back that will that'll give you the uh, cephalic and the basilic veins draining back that way. We will have on the back of the hand, I, can, I, don't, I don't have pictures of it, on the back of the hand we would have that dorsal cuta cutaneous branch off the ulnar nerve that we just looked at in order to give you cutaneous distribution to the back of your little finger and the medial half of your ring finger, that would be there. There will be branches off of the superficial division of the radial nerve, we mentioned that. That's going to give you a lot of the cutaneous distribution for most of the other part of the back of your hand. So when it says dorsal digital branches radial nerve, that's what it's referring to. And of course on the back of your hand, we're going to end up with an extensor retinaculum, the same kind of idea that we had on the palmar surface. Retinaculum here, all the extensor tendons coming down that'll travel uh, to your fingers and your thumb are all going to go underneath that retinaculum. It'll come from the radius over here, comes across, drifts across this way, attaches to the styloid process of the ulna here, uh, triquetral bone, pisiform bone here, and that would then give you that connective tissue band across on the extensor side. Serves the same purpose as a, the flexor one. That is, when you, when you contract the muscle, it would prevent then the tendon from kind of bowstringing or kind of bellying up this way. It reinforces the tendon when you can shorten the muscle it causes the tendon to slide and the ten sliding of the tendon at its distal attachment will cause movement to occur. Gives us the same um, properties as we had on the flexor side. So there's the, our extensor retinaculum sitting that way. Okay. And I think that's probably enough for today.